Amen. Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. It is such an honor for me to, to, to be here. This is my, my home church, and I, I'm sitting here worshiping. And man, did, did the worship team, did, did they not kill it this morning or what? Listen, amen. It felt like a little bit of heaven on earth, to be honest with you, you know. And, you know, I can fight hell all week as long as I can experience a little bit of heaven as well. Amen. And so being here in, in, in being here with you is, is such a joy. So I'm so thankful for our pastors and our leadership, uh, Clay and, and Andrea. They're doing such a wonderful job. And, you know, th th it brings great joy to me to see how, how good the church is doing. You know, listen, we, we started the church, um, you know, several years back, and I was sitting here thinking about, I remember when we were building this building, and we were, you know, you know putting the insulation up and, and carpet down, and, and I'm thinking, the, the church is so much better off and in a better place right now than it's ever been, and, and that brings joy to my heart to see, and so I'm, I'm so thankful to see all the good things that, that the Lord is doing. It's been a very busy first half of the year. I was in Africa back in February. I was in Mexico at the end of March and the first of April. Uh, my mom passed away in, in the middle of April. And I, I do want to say thank you to all of you that uh, reached out, called, or texted, or, or came to the visitation and funeral. I thank uh, Matt and Shauna for for coming and singing, and uh, it just uh, we're really grateful and thankful for you. Then I went through a severe trial that's called prom. Um, got three children. Listen, when you got three daughters, that's a trial. Believe me, it's a trial in more than one way. You know, and you got three dresses, three makeups, three hairdos, three nails. You know, three pairs of shoes. Lord Jesus, somebody say, bless him, Lord. Then my oldest daughter graduated. I have another daughter graduate next year, and uh, three of them will, will be driving here within the next year. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I thought I was going through trials before. Listen, it's a terrifying thing to watch your children drive down the road knowing that you raised them, and they don't have a clue what they're doing. <laughs> now, I can't say a whole lot because when I got my driver's license, it should have been illegal. I mean, back then, you, you could get your permit, and then you could take a driver's test in 30 days. That's nonsense. I mean, nonsense. I about wrecked, no joke, I just about wrecked out here in front of Stivers the very first day that I got my driver's license. And I'm thinking, Lord, please let my children, let the stupidity that was on my life pass over them. Help them to be more alert and aware. And, and, but now, you know, it's just crazy with the phones and the texting. Everybody I meet on the road is texting and driving at the same time. They got their phone up here going like this, and then they're, I'm like, oh, Jesus. But anyways, I'm, I'm making it. I'm doing all right. So you, you can pray for me. But uh, uh, again, you know, we've been talking about, or you know, Clay shared a little bit about the, uh, uh, the different missions opportunities. You know, th this church, part of this church's DNA is rooted in, in missions. It's always been a mission-focused church, not just globally, but, but locally. There's been many things that we've been a part of and, and that we have supported from, from the day that it was, you know, this church had been conceived. And so, you know, th this is not anything that we do that, that makes us special. It's just part of our responsibility. You know, when we read uh, the Scripture, we're, we're taught that we're all to be actively and uh, urgently involved in, in the work of, of outreach and evangelism and missions, and, and that's part of our, our DNA. 
Uh, I'm so thrilled to hear that it's continuing, that things are still you know, being done here in our community, but also the, the commitment that you're making uh, globally. Now, over the last, I think, since 2010, we started planting churches in, in unreached areas of, of Uganda, Rwanda, South Sudan, and even in the Congo. And we're very intentional about this because, you know, we're not talking about re-evangelizing a group of people. We're talking about people who have never heard the precious name of Jesus one time in their life. And when you go there and you see what God has done, it's such an incredible... I'm from 313 Town Branch Road. And listen, there's nobody on 313 Town Branch Road doing this kind of stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, I had no idea the things that God had in, in store for my life. Not, not that that makes me special or, or, or important or anything like that. But, you know, it's been a great privilege of my life. I've had the privilege of traveling in about uh, 17 different nations around the world. But these church plants, you know, I, I've never been a part of anything that's more... Uh, eternally significant than that. And since 2010, we've helped to plant over 128 churches. And in those 128 churches, over 12,000 people are actively being discipled uh, in these churches. The gospel's been took to over 152,000 people for the very first time. And what you may not know is that this church has been solely responsible for helping to plant 90% of all of these churches that we've started back in 2010. So you're, we're talking about tens of thousands of people that are going to be in heaven uh, because of your generosity, your willingness to go. Some of you, you've actually been on the trip. Clay and Brian went on the one back in 2018. Clay ate this chicken. I tried to warn him. You know, listen, there's some things that you just, you just don't touch. I mean, there's some places I've been, and, and you know, there's good food there in Mexico. You know, I, I gain weight on a missions trip there. You know, I mean, that's a wonderful place. But Africa, it just, it's different. You know, and people ask all the time, what's, what's the worst thing that you've ate? I'm going, I don't, I don't really know. But, you know, goat soup is not necessarily that good. But it's not that the soup is bad. It's just that inch and a half of hair on top of it that gets you. You find one hair in your food, you're you taking it back. You know, you're trying to find the, the chicken and the broth underneath the hair that they bring over there. I mean, that's no joke. But uh, I don't gain weight when I go to Africa. I can promise you that much. But, uh, you know, we, we've been doing that. We're continuing to do that. Last February, this past February, we, uh, we graduated 35 new students who have successfully completed the church planning program and we uh, uh, had 18 more students sign up to be a part of that and James is one of those and, and I want to say this much out of every penny that is given to global missions only one percent of everything that's given actually goes toward reaching the unreached and that's not saying that the other missions endeavors are not important but Jesus said the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then the end shall come. So we've been given a, a great task, a great assignment, a great purpose, a great commission that, that we take seriously because God meant it seriously. We didn't have to take that personally. So all of us need to be involved in those things. But anyways, there's a million things that I could share with you. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter number 9. And I want to talk to you about 25 lines 
around the world. 25 lines around the world. I love talking about missions. I love talking about evangelism. Uh, I love talking about winning the lost uh, because I believe that that's the job of all of us. I don't know of anything that's more significant than winning a person to Christ. But in the United States, only 4% of churchgoers say that leading someone to Christ is the most significant thing that they could ever accomplish in their lifetime. Only 4%. You know, only 2% of, of born-again believers actually share their faith. And see, I, I feel like that's a contradiction. Because a faith that doesn't touch somebody else is a faith that's probably not touched you. So how can we say we love him and ignore them? You know, within driving distance of this church, and I'm thankful that the church is growing and multiple services and all those things. But, you know, within driving distance of this church this morning, there's tens of thousands of people that are lost and on their way to hell. And so we're going to talk about uh, evangelism and missions for a little bit this morning. And if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 9, we'll start reading at verse number 36. This is Jesus speaking here, and he says, But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And I ask you that, Lord, you, you would anoint me to speak your word. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me to speak it in the right way, with the right words, in the right spirit, with the right heart. And let it fall on good ground and let it bring forth fruit a hundredfold. If there's people here today that don't know you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would arrest their hearts today. And let them know that the Savior's in the house and that salvation has come here today for them. And God will give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 25 lines around the world. You know, when we get to heaven, we'll be able to experience and do many different things. We will literally experience worship that is out of this world, in a literal sense. We will experience the joy of being reunited with loved ones that have gone on to heaven before us. We'll experience sweet fellowship with one another that will never be broken again and we'll be together forever with the Lord. And those are going to be wonderful times. But there's one thing that when we get to heaven we will not be able to do and that is to win one more soul to Christ. When you get to heaven, there will be no evangelism. Evangelism will cease. So whatever we do for God... In the terms of winning the lost and evangelizing, whatever we do for God, we have to do for God right now. So it's important that we're not just actively involved, but that we are urgently involved. When Jesus talked about the harvest, he said, We must work while it's day, for night is coming that no man shall work. 
And, and so whatever we do for God, we have to do for God with the time that He has given us here on earth. And the truth is, the good news is only the good news if it gets there on time. So we need to be actively involved. We need to be urgently involved because the time will come when evangelism will cease. We'll never have an opportunity to share our faith with another lost person because in heaven, the eternal destiny of men's fate is sealed forever. It's all over. There won't be a, a second chance or a third chance or, or a fifth chance. Whatever we do, we have to do now. And we have to do it with urgency, with, with passion, with, with commitment. And regardless of where that takes us and wherever that costs us, it's a worthy endeavor to be a part of and a worthy endeavor for us to give ourselves to. Now, in this particular chapter, in these few verses here, there's three things that I want to share with you concerning the kingdom. And the first thing I want to share with you is the purpose of the kingdom. Now, Jesus speaks in verse 36. He says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, that word mission, it means, it means assignment. It means a command. It's, it means a calling. It means a task. So God is giving each one of us an assignment. That assignment has a time frame attached to it. And that time frame is the duration of your life. Moses wrote in Psalm chapter 90 verse 12, he said, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now the reason we are to number our days is because our days are numbered. I don't know if you know this or not, but 10 out of 10 people die. You do that, right? You know, the mortality rate's hovering right around a hundred percent. So, you know, none of us are going to make it off this planet alive, but, but we have been given a command. We've been given a calling. We've been given a purpose, a, a task, and that task is to gather up all of the scattered sheep and bring them back to the good shepherd. And the Bible talks about Jesus and refers to him as the good shepherd, refers to him as the great shepherd, refers to him as the chief shepherd. And so our purpose is to gather the sheep, the scattered sheep, and bring them back to the shepherd. Now, here's the second thing I see in this story. The second thing I see is the problem of the kingdom. We have a problem. You've heard the statement, Houston, we, we have a problem. And so Jesus is revealing the problem in verse number 37. And he says, the problem is this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they are few. The problem is simple, and there is a simple solution. The problem is there's too few laborers working and bringing in the harvest. So the solution to that is for more of us who are considered sheep of his fold to be laboring in his harvest field. He said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers, they are few. God never created a man that he didn't intend to save, yet not every man will be saved. And so we have a responsibility to share the gospel whether people receive it or whether they reject it. But the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, and that's the problem. I gave you a few statistics there just a minute ago that only 2% of born-again believers in the United States actually share their faith. Now, are you a part of the 2% or are you a part of the 98%? We all have the responsibility of evangelizing 
Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, he's speaking to Timothy, but he's also speaking to those of us that read the Bible. He says, you are to do the work of an evangelist. You do not have to have the gift of evangelism or be an evangelist in order to share your faith with Christ. The woman at the well, she had been saved for just maybe a, a few hours when she went back to her city and shared with the people in their city what the Lord had done for her. And the scripture says that many of them believed on him because of what the woman said. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have a master's in divinity. You don't have to have all this Bible knowledge. All you need is an encounter with God that so radically changed your life that you can go out and preach the gospel and use words if necessary. The way you live your life, many of them believed because of what she had testified. Been saved for hours, but that one woman was key to unlocking a harvest in that entire city. See, in every person, there is a multitude of people that God wants to reach through your life. And it doesn't matter what your qualifications are. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter what kind of house that you live in. It doesn't matter what your background is. God will use you to reach a multitude. Every member is a multitude. So the problem is there's a big harvest, but we don't have enough laborers in the harvest. Now, we have to take that personally because God means that personally. We are to be a laborer in his harvest. Now, here's the third thing that I see here in the story, and that is the possibilities of the kingdom. He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he may send out laborers into his harvest. Now listen, the harvest is guaranteed if the laborers commit themselves to work. Now imagine if this church, and listen, I'm telling you, this is a great church. It's a privilege for us to be a part of a church like this. And I don't say that arrogantly. I don't say that you know, with, with, with an attitude of superiority. I'm saying this is a great church. There's great worship here. You get a great word every single week. You have people that are ministering. You have a great children's program, a great youth program. This is a wonderful place for us to be. But this church doesn't exist for you. This church exists for those who have not yet come. See, Jesus saved sinners to save sinners. And so if you think about the possibility, the greatest potential in this church is not who the pastor is, but who is sitting in the pews this morning. The greatest potential are those of you that are here sitting in, this, in these seats this morning. If you become actively and urgently involved in reaching lost, imagine how many people would come and give their life to Christ. But if we're not being intentional about that, the possibility will be minimal. But the great potential is here to reach multitudes of people. You know, I don't know if this has changed, but I do remember, you know, looking at some statistics about this county in particular. And that in Clay County, there's around 22,000 people, maybe a little less than that at this point. But we have over 150 churches in our county, yet 18,500 people don't go to church anywhere. 85% of the people don't go to church anywhere. And the reason that they don't go to church anywhere is because they've already been there. 
So if church as usual was good enough to get the job done, then the job would already be done. But these people need to be reached. These people need to be evangelized. These people need to be born again. And we have the responsibility to go out and win the lost no matter what it costs us. So the potential harvest is tens of thousands of people. I'm telling you, you you've been doing this for uh, since 2010, and I'm telling you tens of thousands of people have been saved because of that, just simply because of your giving. Imagine if you were participating with your life, the multiplication that would happen. And listen, I can tell you without, without a shadow of a doubt, that's God's will. God's will is for this church to continue to grow and grow and grow, not by taking people from one church and bringing them into another church, though everybody is welcome. We, we want those that want to be here, but we want to see this church grow based on conversion rate. When we first started, we had about 15 people. And in about 18 months, we saw 120 people give their life to Christ. Over 70% of this church at one time were new converts. Man, it was fun. I mean, it was wonderful. It was overwhelming. I mean, God was just saving people left and right. But, but the problem was me. I wasn't capable of leading a church at that particular level. I wasn't prepared to, to structure the church or have a, a system of discipleship in place where we could see that growth continue to take place and take place. But we're seeing that growth happen not just in this particular place, but all over the world. God is winning people, bringing people to Christ. 25,000 people a day are coming to Christ in China. 30,000 people a day are coming to Christ in India. So listen, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. But the truth is, the strength of a church is not based upon its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Never forget, listen to what I'm about to say, never forget the harvest is in the field, it's not in the barn. And we have a mission field just outside the four walls of this building. And they're looking for a barn that they can come to and be cared for. Amen? Now, I want to give you the four M's of mission. I got more points than a porcupine. But I like it. And I like to learn. Listen, my spiritual father told me, better to have a short pencil than a long memory. I found that out to be true. You know, we'll forget about 95% of what we hear if we don't write it down in a period of 72 hours. Imagine how smart we would be if we retained all the good stuff that we've been told every single week when we come to church here. So that's why we need to write things down. Get a tattoo on our forehead if necessary. Whatever it takes to remind you. Because we're not blessed if we hear the word. We're blessed if we do it. Number one, first M of missions is the mandate. The mandate of missions. And we receive the mandate from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And the mandate of missions is also called the Great Commission. And that Great Commission is go make disciples of all nations. It doesn't say community. doesn't say churches. And it doesn't say converts. See, the, the commission, the Great Commission that we're involved with is global. It affects entire nations. You are impacting nations when you give and support missions. You're not just uh, uh, making a difference locally. You're making a difference globally. He said, go make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I'm commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Now, the hardest part about that whole couple of verses of Scripture is not the going, it's not the discipling, it's not the baptizing, it's the teaching them to obey. Have you ever tried to teach anybody how to obey? I mean, imagine a pastor's responsibility to teach his congregation how to obey. Well, bless God, we live in a democracy. You only have one opinion. Problem is, kingdom's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. He's the Lord and we're not. <laughs> right? But teaching them to obey. Listen, the greatest harvest that this church will ever experience is just on the other side of your obedience. I paused for an amen, but it didn't come. It's all good in the hood, though. But it's the great commission. It is our calling. It's our assignment. It's our marching orders. I love what one man said. He said that the great commission is not an option to be considered but it is a command to be obeyed. You know, God didn't say, okay, just take this verse of Scripture here, read it, memorize it, quote it, preach it back at people. And if you do have time, if it's not a little bit, you know, if it's not too much of a convenience, not doesn't create hardship or, God forbid, awkwardness, you know, if you could, you know, if you could somehow just work these verses into your life, it'd probably be a good thing. You know, no, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord and not do the things which I ask you to do. You can't say no, Lord, and mean it at the same time, right? If he's the Lord, you, you don't even have an option to say no. Why? Because the Lord said it. We talked about him being the shepherd. You know, we love Psalms 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? But listen, for the Lord to be your shepherd means that the shepherd has to be your Lord first. Is he the Lord of your life? And so the Great Commission is our shepherd, our great shepherd's command that we're to be involved with and obedient to. And the Great Commission is, is such an urgent and critical issue that Jesus states it over and over again all throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, you find the Great Commission mentioned five times in five different places in the Word of God, in the New Testament, and you see the scriptural mandate that Jesus is giving his followers. In the book of Matthew, he says, go. In the book of Mark, he says, go. In the book of Luke, he says, go. In the book of John, he says, go. In the book of Acts, he says, go. Our great shepherd said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And so we have this mandate that's placed on all of our lives. And here's what I've learned about Jesus. Jesus doesn't sit with sitters. He goes with goers. He works with workers. And if we want to get in on what he's doing, we have to leave where we are now and go following where he is leading us. He said, if you follow me, then I will make you fishers of men. If we're not winning the lost, can we honestly say that we're following Jesus? That's terrible. I wish I didn't have to say that. But I did like that. That's convicting. I mean, that's convicting. Does that convict you? If it doesn't... The, the, then we have a, a problem in our heart. Conviction's a good thing. 
And there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Please don't take what I'm sharing with you this morning as condemnation. I'm not coming to make you feel bad. I'm not come to, to be critical of anybody doing anything. I'm here to preach with conviction because you know what? I am a dying man speaking to dying people. This may be my last time to ever stand before you and share anything. None of us are promised tomorrow. So I want to share with you what Jesus said. These are the words in red. But you know what? This is a horrifying statistic. He mentions this five times. Listen, it, he doesn't have to mention it but once, right? I promise you, if it's mentioned over and over and over in Scripture, God is saying, I really want you to get this. I really want you to get this. But 51% of church girls, girl, church goers, never heard the gospel. 51% have never heard of the Great Commission. I mean, how is that even possible? I mean, how can you, I mean, I, I, it blows my mind. But that, that's the mandate. We've been given a mandate. Here's the second thing. Second thing is the motive of mission. What, what is the motive is an issue of heart, right? It's not external, it's internal. In other words, what is it that makes you do what you do? What, what is the motive behind missions? Well, John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us the motive. It says, For God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. John 15, 13 gives us the motive of mission. He says, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So the motive for missions, the motive for evangelizing, the motive for us reaching lost people is truly a matter of the heart. It's really what we possess in our heart in terms of our love for God. All missions is, is our love for God overflowing into our love for people. So if our missions emphasis or commitment is weak, can we say that maybe the reason why it's weak is because our love for the Lord is weak? Is it, can, we, can we connect those two together? Because Paul described his motivation for reaching the lost. He said, the love of Christ compels me. If we love him, then we will go tell them. I mean, it's really just, just that simple. It's, it's, a, it's a motive. He said, now, pray. The problem is, is that there's too few laborers. The solution is praying that God would send out more laborers into the harvest. I want you to know God wants you to be a laborer in his harvest. And you will not be a laborer if you're first not a lover. Because lovers will always outwork workers. Okay? You with me? Somebody that is in love will sacrifice anything and everything for the one that they love. As a matter of fact, nothing, no sacrifice is too great for somebody that is head over heels in love. Now we know the story of, of Jacob and, and, and Rachel. The Bible says that Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, but those seven years were only but a day in his eyes because of his love for 
Rachel, don't you remember when you first got saved just how much you loved God and how much you wanted to tell everybody you knew what God did for you? Remember when it was a joy to come to church and not a chore? Remember when the sky was bluer and the grass was greener and everybody was wonderful? Remember when God met you right where you were and he found you when you had hit rock bottom, when you realized, you know what, I shouldn't even be alive today, but the fact that you're alive just reminds me of the goodness of God and the goodness of God just overwhelms you to the point where, where your eyes begin to leak. You know, my, my spiritual father said, if your eyes leak, your head won't swell. But maybe the lack of tears in our eyes is the reflection of the hardness our heart has been. Because there's a lot of things that make us hard-hearted. Religious people being one of them. Unfortunately, only God's perfect and the rest of us are people. So my question is, do you love the Lord more now than you did when you were first saved? Or has the passion and love that you once had slowly dissipated over the process of time? See, our motive, it's important. We need to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do? And the motivation, we will never win the lost. We will never get actively and urgently involved in missions if our love for God is weak. We're not going to do it. Our lack of involvement is a reflection of our lack of love for God in our heart. Because the truth is evangelism is just loving people until they tell you why. That's really, I mean, why you, like, evangelism is simply loving people until they tell you why. Listen, you should love people so well that they come up to you and say, why are you so good to me? You are so thoughtful. Why, why do you think about me? Why, why, why are you being so kind to me? That's evangelism. Kindness goes a long way. As a matter of fact, kindness is actually one of the fruit of love. Love is patient. Love is Kind. And the Bible says it is the kindness or goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Now, here's the third thing. The third thing is the ministry of missions. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18, 18 through 20 says this. Paul's writing here. Again, we're talking about ministry. Let me tell you, every one of you have a ministry. Every believer has a ministry. Every, yes, you, yes, you, yes, you. Many of us, we think about we don't have anything to offer God. We, you know, God could ne never use us. You know, I don't know the Bible. No, no, you have a ministry. And the scripture says that you have spiritual gifts as well. That, that's why we do next steps here. We're here to help you discover what those spiritual gifts are and put those things into practice because God's given you a ministry and he's given you a gift to fulfill that. And so Paul talks about this ministry of missions. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled who? Who? Us. To himself through Jesus Christ and has given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to the word of reconciliation, now then are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through. 
We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now the big question here is, who's he talking about? Who is us? You. Me. We. Us. I mean, I, us and us and us. And I mean, he's like, get. We. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are ambassadors. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 says, We, then workers together with him, also plead with you on Christ's behalf. Now, who's working, to get, who, who's working together with God? Us. You. Me. We. Are you confused yet? I mean, you can't get this one wrong. It's impossible. You might ignore it. You might try to block it out. But you know he's talking about you, right? No, us. We. Me. You. Us. We. Got it? This is your ministry. You can't ignore it. You can make excuses, but God don't forgives excuses. He forgives sin that we repent of, right? Unfortunately, I had to preach that to you, so now you are without excuse. I'm sorry, but I'm not. Now, Paul said this. He's given me the, rec uh, the ministry of reconciliation. He's given every one of us the ministry of reconciliation. So us individually and collectively are to be actively involved in pleading on Christ's behalf for those that do not know him to be reconciled to God. And it's a non-negotiable. Now listen, everybody here is a full-time minister. It may not be your full-time profession, but it is your full-time responsibility. There's no such thing as being a part-time Christian. That's like being a little bit pregnant. Can't be a little bit pregnant, can you? It may not be visible in the beginning, but later on it's impossible to hide. And the same true is spiritually. If we're really pregnant with purpose, with promise, with potential, and all that begins to grow, and we're actively and urgently involved in reaching people, pretty soon it's got to show. It's got to come out of your mouth. Amen? Here's the last thing. The last thing is the message of mission. So we have the mandate, the motive, the ministry, and the message. This is important. Because sometimes we think people know what the gospel is, but in reality, a lot of people don't. Now, the areas where we reach people in, in the unreached areas, I'm talking about super remote ends of the earth places, a lot of these folks can't read or write. So you're not going to get up there and, and share with them your knowledge of Bible doctrine. And again, I'm not saying that Bible doctrine is not important. But I am saying it's possible for you to know the book of the Lord and not know the Lord of the book. Doctrine's important. Not just doctrine, right doctrine is important. You, you might get up there and speak in tongues, and you might give a word of prophecy. You might do all the Pentecostal you know, disciplines that, 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 that we read about in Scripture, but that doesn't mean that these people understand what the gospel is. 
You go and you talk to these folks about Jesus and they say, who is this Jesus? Take us to where he lives. And so you preach about Jesus, you share about the gospel with these folks and you desperately depend on him to show up because if he doesn't show up, it's over. Because they don't need a theological knowledge of God, they need an experiential encounter with God. But when you encounter God, you will never be the same again. You know, if you were to stick your finger into an electrical outlet that has like 220 watts of power, if you stuck your finger in there, do you think you'd feel it? Well, for a second, maybe, then you'd die. Now, if that's true, if you, if you can feel uh, uh, an electric 220-watt current initially surging through your body before you quickly die, how is it possible for us to encounter somebody that is as big and great as God is and there's no visible change in our life? Now, I'm not saying that, that we don't, you know, that we're perfect and we have it all together. Listen, I, I, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic for 10 years. I've been in jail. I've been hit with glass bottles in my head. I've been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt. But I'm telling you something. On June the 7th, 1998, I had a legitimate encounter with God in my bedroom in my mom's house. And I can tell you unequivocally, I have never been the same since. Listen, I've done a ton of drugs, even hallucinogenic drugs. None of them motivated me to get on a plane and fly to a place that I have no clue where it's at, eat goat soup and talk to people about Jesus while monkeys swing in the trees. I didn't even have a trip on LSD that was that wild. I'm just, I, I, I mean, I'm just, I didn't do LSD. But I have hallucinated a few times. <laughs> but not about doing stuff like that. But my point is this. We need to know what the gospel is. So the question is, what's the gospel? I'm glad you asked. This is the gospel, okay? I want you to get this. Paul's telling us the gospel. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which you are also Saved. So what saves us? The gospel. Paul also wrote Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In other words, you can't go preach and tell people, you know what, come to Jesus, you'll have a wonderful life. Now, he will bless you. I mean, I came to God a piece of a man. And a terrible piece of a man, to be honest. And piece by piece, God began to put my life together. But it was not without suffering. I was a mess, but I was his mess. But he says, the gospel by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. In other words, we can believe wrongly. Paul warned the Galatian church, he said, listen, beware 
if somebody preach another gospel or another Christ and we preach you that they're preaching you another Jesus and another Jesus can't save you. Even if an angel appears to you that speaks so eloquently and gives you all the good warm fuzzies on the inside and you know what, even a doodad on your arm every now and then. You know, he said, look, if it's not the gospel, you believed in vain. Now how do you know if you believed in truth or believed in vain? Here's the measuring stick. You only live what you believe. Everything else is just religious talk. I mean, surely if we believe God wrote a book, we'd read it. That hurt me. I know. I know. I feel it. Yes, people, do you believe the Bible from cover to cover? Yeah. Have you ever read it cover to cover? There's some weird stuff in there. Listen. We believe that a man that was once alive died, rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. He's coming back on a white horse. You believe that? You're weirdos. You're a bunch of... But we only live what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. And so he says, don't believe in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that number one, four parts to the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the Scripture. Four parts. He lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. Why is that important? Because every false religion in the world is about man's attempt to get to God. Only Christianity is God's attempt to get to man. The Bible is not man's pursuit of God. The Bible is God's pursuit of man. You can't live good enough or right enough or holy enough to make yourself right with God. Listen, salvation is a simple math problem. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the gospel that saves us. So we have a message to share. Have you met? Have you met? The resurrected Jesus. Have you met? I'm not saying heard about. Or even preached to about. But I'm, have you had a personal one-on-one -on -one encounter with him? I promise you if you do, you'll never be the same again. Then go ahead and come to music. I'm going to wrap it up. So, we have the mandate, motive, ministry, and the message. So the only thing left really for us to ask is, what does God want me to do about that? Well, the scripture says in Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15, he says, How shall they call upon him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? So, we got three options. We can pray. No, we got four options. Pray, give, go, or disobey. Because this is not an option, it's a mandate, it's our task.
But is it a worthy task for us to give ourselves to? I would submit to you, absolutely. Because there's something indescribable that happens in your heart when you meet people who have never heard the name of Jesus before in their life, who's only known ancestral worship and human sacrifice, cutting themselves And now they know Jesus because somebody was willing to pray, somebody was willing to give, and somebody was willing to go. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, God, do I need to pray? Do I need to give? Or do, do I need to go? You know, one man said, I'd ask God, why there is so much pain and suffering in the world if he had the power to do something about it except I'm afraid that he might ask me the same question because I've got a lot of criticism over the years for talking about preaching global missions and we got people right here in the county 100% that's why you're here Question, what are you doing? We have 150 churches. At least we did a few years back. But yet the number of those that don't go to church in our community is far greater than those that actually do. But what I'm submitting to you is it's not enough to be a churchgoer. There's no such thing as a Sunday morning Christian in the Bible. You are a follower fully devoted follower, disciple of Jesus. And disciples make disciples that make disciples. So who's your disciple? So is it necessary for people to hear the gospel to be saved? Talk to me. Yes. But I submit to you, it, it, it's more than going and sharing a message. You have to be specific about who that message is about. And the reason it's important is because people need to hear a name in order to be saved. Not just a message, they need to hear about who the message is about. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There's no name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10 and verse 13 says, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 1, 12 says, For as many as believed in him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. Philippians chapter 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus... Isn't that beautiful? And think about it. You have the answer. I mean, what would, how would you look at a doctor who had the cure to a terminal disease but never made that cure available for people who were afflicted by it? Cancer's a bad thing. 
Diabetes is a bad thing. MS is a bad thing. All the diseases that our world is filled with, they're all bad. But imagine a disease that's far worse than that. And every human being on the planet is infected by it. You know what it is? Sin. Imagine having the cure. But we don't want to put ourselves in an awkward situation to say, I could probably help you with that. No doctor can force you to take the cure, but they can offer it for you, offer it to you. When's the last time you've offered the cure? Stand with me. Put this last slide up for me, if you don't mind, about it has the statistics. Now, there's 7.95 billion people on the planet. And of that 7.95 billion people, only 11% are considered to be born-again believers. Now, it, when you figure in the mortality rate, the mortality rate is the number of people that are dying per day. And you take the percentage of people that are in the world, that are believers... And it leaves us with some horrifying statistics. I mean, I want you to look at this. Every minute, 13 people go to heaven and 102 people go to hell. By the time that we've spent together in here in this building, 762 people have went to heaven, 6,166 have went to hell. By the time we go to bed tonight, 18,290 people will go to heaven and 147,989 will go to hell. And if something doesn't change, by, by the end of this year, 6.7 million people will go to heaven and over 50 million will go to hell. Now back to the title. 25 lines around the world. What in the world does that mean? There's 3.2 billion people that's never heard the gospel. Okay? And to understand how many people that is, what we would do is we would line people up right here in the middle of City of Hope Church and we'd put them in a single file line. And they would file in behind people one after another after another, it would extend past the walls of this building. It would go past and would exit out Pikeville, Kentucky. It would cross the Atlantic Ocean. It would continue to go past all of Europe, across Russia, across the Pacific Ocean. It would enter back into California. It would travel across all of the Midwest. And it would enter through this door, this, this wall, and it would stop right here where it began. But it wouldn't just wrap around the world one time. It wouldn't wrap around the world two times or five times or ten times. But the number of people who have never heard the gospel would wrap around the equator of the earth 25 times. Think about that. I mean, that, I can't explain what that does. 
And you're thinking, that's just too many people. What can we do for, do for 3.2 billion? Listen, do for one what you do for all. Do something. That's why you're here. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you don't have 100% assurance that things are right between you and God, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Don't leave this building without knowing and knowing that you know that things are right between you and God. Why? Because heaven and hell are real places and people go there every single day. 150,000 will split hell wide open before we close our eyes and go to bed tonight. The scripture says death and hell enlarges itself every day. But I've given you the ministry and the message. The only thing left to do is for you to respond. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would walk up and down every aisle in this building from the front to the back. Leave no person untouched. And I pray, God, that you would give them judgment day honesty. That if they don't know and know that they know that things are right between you and them, that you would convict their hearts and that they would be drawn to you by the Holy Spirit and be saved. Because now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. And give us an urgency, a burden. Because, Lord, where the reality of hell is absent, the burden for souls is lost. Give us that burden. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. I'm not going to come out there and get you. I just want to know that you're here and that God is at work. If you don't have 100% assurance that things are not right between you and God, and today God is dealing with you, on the count of three, just shoot your hand straight up and straight back down. One, two, three. Shoot your hand up. Amen. Amen. Now for the rest of you, do you have a burden for souls? If you don't have a burden for souls, we need to check the motivation of our heart. Is it because our love for God has gotten weaker? If we need a greater love for the lost, then we have to develop and cultivate a greater love for God. And as they sing and as they play, God is convicting your heart if you need to be saved, if you need your burden for souls restored, if you need God to touch and minister you in any way, as they sing and as they play, I'm going to invite you to come.